Hello everyone and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters Europe, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Philippe Durand, a partner at the Paris law firm Auguste de Bouzy. We are fortunate to have the chance to dial in our local ELA lawyers that practice in these jurisdictions and who are also working daily to help their local clients. Joining us today on the program today is Rob Tubman. Rob is an associate at ANL Goodbody in Belfast. ANL Goodbody is actually an Irish law firm headquartered in Dublin. Today, Rob will be updating us on the immigration system in Northern Ireland. Rob, welcome to the program and how are you doing today? Thank you, Philippe. I'm great. Nice to be speaking to you. Excellent. Are you calling from the office or are you calling from home? I am in the office at the minute. We are doing what most people are doing at the minute, a sort of a, a hybrid working environment. Okay, very good. And you're definitely calling us today from Belfast. Rob, listen, I think that by way of general background, it might be a good starting point today if you could provide us with a general overview of the general immigration system and rules in Northern Ireland. Sure. And I suppose that I said it's worth saying it will be a general overview because you could spend an awful lot of time on the complexities of the system, but I'll give you a basic rundown. And I suppose the obvious starting point is Brexit and the fallout from Brexit, if you will. And that was one of the key drivers in the UK government bringing in a new points-based immigration system. And that came into force on the 1st of December 2020. And it's sort of widely recognized that this was the biggest shift in immigration policy in recent history. And they did it in the middle of a global pandemic, no less. So as practitioners, it has been a bit of a sea change in what we were used to. I suppose, again, going back to Brexit, prior to Brexit, EU nationals were able to live and work across the EU on the basis of free movement principles. Clearly, with Brexit, those have now ceased. And so the reality is, at the minute, anyone coming to Northern Ireland from outside the jurisdiction, with the exception of Irish citizens, must now meet a specific set of requirements for which they will score points. And so points are given for having appropriate skills for the job role you're applying to, for having a suitable knowledge of the English language, and also for being paid a salary that meets the threshold set by the UK government. And the whole point behind salary thresholds is to avoid driving down salaries locally. The minimum number of points you must score is 70. And for those individuals who gain enough points, they will be granted a visa. In tandem to the individual making their visa application, employers first need to obtain what's known as a sponsor license. And this is essentially a system whereby they register with the Home Office in the UK. They have to meet a series of checks and balances and be considered appropriate to hold a sponsor license. And in doing so, they have the ability to hire migrant talent into the UK. There are a wide variety of different sponsorship routes. I'm not going to go into all of them in detail today, but I will touch on some of the more widely used ones in Northern Ireland and how those operate. Well, thank you for that, Rob. This scoring mechanism is quite interesting. I also see that some rules in Ireland and in the UK as well, of course, are pretty similar to what we do have in France, by the way. Now, moving on to some maybe more practical areas, we all saw in the media that the UK has been suffering because of immigration issues of storage of certain goods or delivery problems. So the question that is crossing my mind, Rob, is could you describe with us or give you some example of any local industries that are particularly reliant on migrant workers in Northern Ireland and more broadly speaking in the UK? Sure. So at I know a good body, our client base is broadly corporate entities. But within that, there are certain sectors who, who are certainly more reliant on, on a migrant worker workforce. 
Some examples, I suppose, are manufacturers, the hospitality sector in particular, hotels, bars and restaurants, historically, would have been very reliant on EU national workers in particular. And so obviously following Brexit, they have had a, a significant impact on the talent pool that they have open to them. Another one along the same lines of manufacturing is food processing. And then I suppose there's a final one, which is the IT and technology sector. And they are predominantly reliant on migrant workers simply because there is a shortage of available talent in Northern Ireland. We have two universities who year on year will churn out a significant number of graduates who will go into those roles. But the reality is, you know, our clients are telling us at any one time they could fill upwards of 100 plus vacancies. So they're having to go further afield to fill those. Okay. You did say just a few seconds ago, Rob, that NL Goodbody is really representing mostly corporate entities, that is to say companies. And I was wondering what would be the challenges for your clients, for employers in Northern Ireland and in the United Kingdom, when those employers are seeking to recruit migrant works under your current immigration regulations? I suppose the most obvious one, Philippe, is that there are now more barriers to recruiting from the EU following the end of free movement. And also, if you are not a licensed sponsor, you are effectively limiting the talent pool that you can recruit from. Some of the more sort of key issues that that we're seeing from clients, the first one is probably the minimum salary thresholds. So there is a set minimum threshold of £25,600, which must be met in order to successfully sponsor a migrant worker. Or alternatively, there's what's known as the going rate. So particular job roles will have a salary that the Home Office effectively says you cannot go below. For certain sectors, it is much higher than others. And this is a bit of a problem for NI because historically, salaries in Northern Ireland were lower than in the rest of the UK, for example, or in the EU. And previously, employers saw that as a bit of an attraction because there's a relatively skilled workforce here, albeit they were able to pay slightly lower salaries. So this requirement to pay the higher salary is becoming a problem for sectors who traditionally maybe didn't pay those amounts. Generally, there's a shortage of skilled talent, which leads to a competition for workers, sort of referred to as the war on talent locally. But it means that employers are having to find novel ways to attract people because they have less to choose from. And just even going back to the whole basis for this new immigration system, the idea that the UK government came up with was that this system would attract what they coined as the best and brightest. And what that means is that certain low-skilled and I sort of say that in inverted commas, roles are just not capable of sponsorship under the new system because they don't meet the criteria, be it the skills threshold, English language requirements, or, or the salary that I touched on earlier. And that is something that we've seen in, in hospitality, for example, previously particularly reliant on EU workforce, relatively low skilled and relatively low paid in comparison to other jobs in the sector. And they just don't have that avenue anymore. So they've really struggled, certainly on the, the salary point. I suppose just another general one as well is, like I said at the start, the system is effectively a a year old as of a couple of days ago. It's still bedding in. So while most employers are sort of getting to grips with it and and are starting to use it more and more, there are teething problems and there are delays. And obviously, COVID-19 plays a part in that as well, because as much as the system is online, the reality is once these applications are submitted, it's a human in the home office who then sits down and reviews the papers and they just... Number one, they're dealing with a large volume. And two, COVID-19 restrictions have made that so much harder for them as well. So there is definitely a delay. And again, as we head towards the end of the year, that will probably only increase as the volume of applications goes up. One last one that doesn't necessarily relate entirely to the the sponsorship system is the requirement in Northern Ireland to carry out right-to-work checks. 
And these have always been something that employers have had to do where effectively before the first day of employment, when they're hiring a new employee, they have to sit down and check that that individual has a legal right to work in Northern Ireland. And before Brexit, an EU national, for example, could simply show their passport or their national identity card. But then as of July of this year, that's no longer possible as a bit of a fallout and a change in the rules following Brexit. And what this means is it's actually quite hard for employers to tell whether somebody can legally work in the UK on the basis of previously having exercised free movement rights and obtaining what is known as pre-settled or settled status under the EU settlement scheme, which I'm sure our listeners will be aware of, or they don't have that right. They've come into the UK since the start of the year, and that means that they actually have to be sponsored under the points-based system. And why this is important for our employer clients is because if you're found to have or be employing an individual illegally, you can be fined up to £20,000 per worker. So that can add up very quickly if you're not following the right processes. And also, if you're a sponsor license holder and you're found to be in breach of those regulations and rules, you can have your sponsor license either downgraded, which means there are certain rules you will not be able to sponsor people under, or you can have it revoked entirely. So there are potentially serious ramifications for getting right to work checks wrong. Yeah, you, you obviously, Rob, need to be very careful in this transition period. I'm talking about employers because of these new regulations. So you have to be particularly careful, especially bearing in mind with the information you were just sharing with us. And, and that fine is certainly an incentive to retain the legal counsel in certain specific situations. Now, if we try to focus maybe on practical tips. You were talking about the sponsor license mechanism, Rob. And I meant to ask you if you could share with us any specific sponsorship routes that would be particularly helpful for employers and for our audience today. Sure. And I realized that last question finished on a bit of a negative note. This one is hopefully more positive. Like I said at the start, there are a, a large number of routes that are available under the new system. I'll give you maybe three or four examples of some that we are seeing clients use predominantly or that are particularly useful to the, the kind of clients that we do work with. The first of those is what's known as the global talent route. And actually, this doesn't require a sponsor license at all. It is predominantly aimed at very highly skilled individuals who can enter the UK without a job offer. So a job offer from a licensed sponsor is usually a starter for 10 in order to get a visa. Under the global talent route, it's recognized that they are so significant in their field, or they have skills that are so in demand in the UK that they can effectively bypass that. They do need to be endorsed by a recognized body in the UK. So for example, in a, in a science or a medical role, the Royal Society in the UK would effectively have to say, yes, we have heard of this individual, we recognize their credentials. And like I said, employers can then employ those individuals without having to get a sponsor license. There's also a fast track option and again, it's just to encourage leaders in their field worldwide to come to the UK because I suppose the whole point of the change in the immigration system is to attract the best and brightest, like I touched on before. So that's the first one. The second is what's known as the intra-company transfer route. And that's largely aimed at multinationals who have a presence in Northern Ireland or are looking to set one up. And what that does is allow them to facilitate a temporary move to a Northern Ireland subsidiary company for a key member of staff. And really what that does is allow them to bring in an experienced employee who can help them build and grow their presence in Northern Ireland for a, a sort of set period of time before then returning to their parent company employer. And that's something, that route in particular, we've seen a lot of use of in 2021, and we expect that to continue next year. 
The third one I'll touch on is the student visa. And this is a relatively new route that was introduced in 2021. And what that does is allow students in Northern Ireland who are currently here on what's known as a tier four student visa to remain in Northern Ireland for up to two years or three in certain cases where they have a a PhD qualification, for example. And it allows them to look for work and continue to work without actually needing to be sponsored by an employer. So there are benefits for the individual in that they can effectively spend up to two years finding what suits them or, or deciding what area they want to go into. And there's a benefit for the employer because they don't actually have to go through the process of applying for a sponsor license and then sponsoring the individual. So there's a cost saving there. At the same time, if they do employ somebody who has a a student visa and they decide at the end of two years, yes, we'd like you to stay, the individual can then switch into another route. And in most cases, it will be that skilled worker route. So there's, there's a bit of flexibility there. And we're already seeing clients making use of that. And certainly clients who maybe traditionally would not have considered the need to employ sponsored migrants. The final thing I'll touch on is, is not a route as such, but it's a, a new sort of focus of the, the immigration system, and that is the shortage occupation list. So this is a list of skilled jobs where effectively the UK government has identified a national shortage of talent in those roles. And so if you want to bring in somebody to a role that is recognized as being on the shortage occupation list as an employer, you can benefit from lower salary thresholds and also lower application fees. Although in saying that the individual would still need to meet the mandatory criteria around English language and skill level and things like that. So those are probably just some of the the sort of main ones that we are seeing. But it's fair to say that there are, you know, positive routes and, and these are being built on all the time by the UK government. Well, thank you, Rob, for this optimistic note. And I think this option number two you were referring to should be of particular interest to our audience today, this intra-group exemption, which of course would make secondments or intra-group movements quite easier for people who want to move migrant workers or staff from, I don't know, the US to Northern Ireland or to the UK. Rob, today you've been telling us about these 2020 new regulations that were passed, you said, in December of last year. And this will be my final question. Could you tell us a few things in a few words about any further developments or or changes that we could anticipate as far as your immigration regulations might be concerned in the near future? Yep. So I can give you two examples. One is a sort of a general example, and the other is some of the new routes that are, are due to come online in 2022. So the first one is the sort of general framework changes that the Home Office is looking to bring in. And the whole point of those is to effectively modernize the sponsorship process, make it more efficient for sponsors and for the home office themselves, and just generally easier to understand and navigate. Like I said, the new system came in in 2020 in the middle of a global pandemic, not to say that it was rushed, but I think there's an understanding that currently it's still slightly clunky. There are things that can be improved. And the UK government has released a a policy statement, essentially setting out the steps that they're going to take to make the system a bit more fit for purpose. And I think it's probably interesting to say that the idea is to have ultimately a sponsorship system that will enable employers to have an overseas worker ready to start work faster than in any other G20 country. Now, to me, that's a pretty bold ambition, but it, it sort of sets out the stance that the Home Office is taking on this. And then the second part is just touching on some of the new routes that will be introduced in 2022 most likely in the spring, but the exact dates are are still to be decided. There's three in particular that came out in the UK Chancellor's budget. Those were the scale-up, the high-potential individual, and the global business mobility routes. And they're all designed to attract inward investment into the UK. 
But I think I'll just touch mainly on the global business mobility route because what it will do is amalgamate some of the routes and options that are available at the minute. And one of those is the intergroup transfer route that I touched on earlier. And what this global business mobility route will do is allow overseas business seeking to establish a presence in the UK or build an already established presence to assign and manage workers coming from their existing businesses elsewhere and support growth. Like I said, it will be a bit of an amalgamation of already existing routes and rules. So it'll be interesting to see how exactly it takes shape and how the UK government uses this to, again, attract the best and brightest. So obviously, we'll need to be quite aware of these future changes in 2022. Uh, Rob, thank you very much for this very interesting discussion today. And I would like to thank as well our audience and thank you to all of you for joining us on the program. If you would like to connect with Rob, please click on his bio in the description of this podcast. Also search for ELA.law, where you can sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters Europe, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Philippe Durand, and thanks for listening today.